And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. This may sound like common sense to us, but remember, this was a strange way of thinking for an Israelite. Because as, as we heard from Deuteronomy, Moses said, Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the just decrees that I'm teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land. You shall not add, nor take from it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples. And the statutes that they were supposed to keep were to declare very directly that their God was holy, and that to come into the presence of his temple, you also had to be holy. And the way that this was to be displayed was the food they were supposed to eat was supposed to be temple food. Their house was supposed to be a reflection of the temple. There were cleaning rituals even for it. Even their dress was supposed to reflect the customs and prayers of the temple. So that way, when people came through their land, which they surely would, because they were at the crossroads between Europe and Asia and Africa, they would clearly see that something different was occurring there among these people. So the nations would say, surely this is a great nation and it's wise and understanding people. Israel with his people and his temple was literally and figuratively to be a light on a hill, calling out to the world that God was doing something different among this nation. Come into the house of the Lord and see the wonders that he has done and is doing here at this place. It was to be their light, to be their cry. So Israel became very used to the idea that holiness was supposed to be displayed outwardly. This is what made one holy, following the rule and the regulations. And so when Christ says, there is nothing outside a person, that by going into him can defile him. This is not a, a new idea, but instead an opposing idea. Is why the disciples come to him and ask about the parable. Their entire religious ritual life has been a testimony to an opposite way of thinking. Touch this dead body, and you are unclean. Eat this type of food, and you are unclean. Get this type of skin ailment, and you are unclean. And the list goes on and on and on. But Christ responds to them. Are you also without understanding? Don't you get what I'm saying to you? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Because when we are actually talking about real holiness and real true cleanliness, sure, outside activities, they can reflect what's going on in the heart and in the mind. But truly the motive, the heart, the mind, is what matters. An example of this is one of the first stories we get to in, in the Bible. Uh, and, and again, is one of the first things that we're studying right now at Trinity Lutheran High School, so it's in the forefront of my mind, is, is the idea of Cain and Abel and the offering of their individual sacrifices. And when we get into Cain's sacrifice, it probably wasn't physically all that insufficient. His problem was his motivation. Cain's name 
means gift, acquired, one given by the Lord. Abel's means a puff of hot air, means unimportant. And you can see how Eve and Adam viewed Cain. Uh, They're promised that through the offspring, Eve, someone's going to come, crush the serpent Satan's head, and they think, here's the guy. The one who's going to deal with the broken spot we are in. So we'll even call him gift. And you can sort of then guess the spirit that kind of pervaded Cain's life and the spirit of the sacrifice that it was offered in. And we see the spirit because as soon as he's rejected, as soon as he's reprimanded, he doesn't ponder, hey, what's the problem with me? He moves to, well, the problem obviously has to be with him. And he plans to kill his brother. So the motive obviously is the issue. This is what gives birth to the outside action. And again, biblical account after biblical account can be brought to the fore to display this. And the disciples knew these stories. But again, we're often not much better than the disciples on this one. For we can hear and understand the adage that it is a heart that counts, but how do we often view life? And how is life often marketed to us? Well, if you take these vitamins, you will be healthy. If you get on this diet regimen, you'll have the body you want. If you take this new pill, you will live oh so much longer. If you get on this workout program, you'll be able to do what you want. If you, and whatever the situation is, is normally always concerned with the external. And there's always one more, if you but do this. Somehow, if we get that external right, then suddenly and magically our houses will be cleaner, our lives will be more fulfilled, and our souls will be full. But that's never the case. No outside diet, exercise, or whatever program can ever truly do those kind of things because they can never go deep enough. For what does Jesus say? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? The diet enters our stomach. The workout program, our muscles, the pills, our bloodstream, and so forth and so on, but not one of them can actually touch our heart or our mind or our souls. No matter what we externally do, we can, when we examine our hearts, what do we find there? Well, Jesus tells us that answer too. What comes out of a person defiles him. For from within, now the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And we could use many other words, and we could sort of take apart each and every one of those words if you wanted to and see what they say, but they all amount to the same thing. We are, are simply talking about the Ten Commandments, and that they, that they demonstrate our motives and our motivations. They tell us oh so clearly what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. And unless you're much better than me, which, you know, possible, right? I can't really deny that I don't love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all of the time. And that I don't love my neighbor as myself 
all the time, right? And I'll just give you a quick example of this for those of you who have small children, have had small children, or, or know what a small child looks like. When you hear them cry at, say, uh, four in the morning, would you, would you think, right, that you, you hop out of bed joyful, that you have the opportunity to, to meet the needs of that small child, or maybe you just, just lay there a second and just hope somebody else hears them. Maybe they respond. Or maybe the child just stops all on their own. Ah, the motivations of the heart. They tell us oh so many things about ourselves. And, you know, and we can break down exactly all the particular ways we fall short on this one, but the best answer when we really use the Ten Commandments to, to stare into our hearts and our minds is that we, we fall short in many and various. And no, no Fiji water dr that we drink or any other health program we follow can, can truly ever cleanse that from the depth of our souls because those things aren't even aiming for those targets and aren't even capable of hitting them. And so what is the answer to this, this never-ending dilemma? Well, you know the answer to that, too. We need to be fed and filled and attached to and given that which can actually get to our hearts and to our minds and to our souls. And there's only one, and this one is Christ our Lord. And this is why he is there walking around with his disciples. This is why they were, were doing all this stuff in the Old Testament, because this is the point, right? What does even Moses say? For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? For he has actually come near to deal with our souls, to lead us to repentance, to forgive us of our sins, and to nourish us for the days ahead. For, for we'll always have diets and programs and ceaseless other things that, well, we may even want to do. And they aren't wrong in their own right. But what is the real struggle of our lives? What, what does St. Paul say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that are also concerned with what's going on in here. We wrestle against things that are concerned with motives and hearts and souls. The actual important stuff. But praise be to God. We have one that is with us, near us as a matter of fact, that is concerned with every inch of who we are, who gives us what we need in every situation, so that as St. Paul says, we can withstand the fiery darts of whatever may come. For the armor of God that Paul talks about in your epistles is not meant for quiet or easy days, but is meant for folks who go through real difficulties with real concerns, whose hearts get truly hurt. And so he renews, gives strength, surrounds us with the armor of himself, his salvation, his righteousness, his faith, his truth, his peace, all in his word. So we're able to stand in the evil day, because one has come who has come to redeem and help and heal us all, which includes every part of us, especially all the really important stuff 
that nobody else can even see. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let us rejoice that there is one who is able to truly make us clean and right and pure, and to give us his armor for each and every day ahead. And it's come near you to do these very things in his word, in his supper, among us this very day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.